All right, good morning, everybody. Good to see y'all. We're going to have to add another row or two here for next week. So that's good. I like that. Um, we are uh, we're in this series. This is the last one of this series that we're doing on our, uh, our mission, what we're all about, and then the DNA, the things that are behind that, the things that we do as a church, so that everyone here, as you're looking at who we are, can understand what, what is going on in this place. And, and I just always want to reiterate, that mission that we have is this, the, the one word that sums it up is reconciliation. Kevin, are you getting this? Because you are going to have to, you, this is your new stuff, okay? Um, so uh, reconciliation, really, it's another way of saying the gospel. Reconciliation is the thing that we are about we want to help people understand that in our brokenness, there is a way to be in right relationship with God. And Jesus is the way to be in relationship with him through faith. And, and that's, the, that's the core of it. That's the message that we want to communicate in general. But all of these, these DNA statements sort of form the, the structure for what's behind all of that. Uh, so you might call them core values or something like that, but uh, the the first one, uh, or they're not actually in an order, but we go together is one. Are you clicking these up? Am I guessing at which one I'm going to do? So I'm going to do G-A-P-H. How about that? So that's how I'm going to remember that, okay? We go together, we abide in Jesus, we pass the baton, and we are heat and light. Did you get that? It's Okay. Um, so, heat and light, that's the one we're on this time. Heat, it's in, heat and light, that's what we are, we're heat and light. When I say that, you might, you might think, oh, that's nice, that sounds good. Well, what does that mean? Okay, it, you know, really, it needs to be fleshed out a little bit. What is heat and light? What do we mean? How does that get worked out in the church? And what does it mean to individuals who are a part of this church or exploring who Jesus is, or maybe you've been a Christian for a long, long time? And we have, if we have a picture up there, that's a little picture of a, of a fire. And I think it's a great image, uh, the campfire, of what this idea of heat and light is, this place uh, that that we go in and we find warmth, and the light's burning and coming from the fire, right? There, there's one small detail, is that the smoke is not blowing in your eyes. When you're picturing this, you know, um, the, the heat and light that we are, this campfire, hopefully, is not blowing smoke in the eyes of the people who are seeing it. Um, we all know how, how wonderful that feels. Uh, the thing about it is that in... When, you, when we're thinking about this image of a campfire or being heat and light, that, that the heat and the light is being expressed outward. Okay? It's not about something, it's something that edifies people that are a part of the church who are believers, but it also it, it is focused outwardly. The heat and the light go out. So, I wonder <laughs> if, uh, if any of you ever watch like a, like a cop show, and the, and the good guys are going to go get the bad guys in the woods. And so they're going to sneak up on the bad guys. And so they break out a flashlight. And they're shining the flashlight around, right? And, I'm always, and they're trying to be a real authentic cop show. And I'm thinking, well, everybody knows if you turn on the flashlight, you just, you're the one who's being seen, right? The people hiding are looking directly at you. 
I'm always kind of baffled by the authenticity of that. They're not really sneaking up on anybody. Jesus says something like this. He says, if you're going to light something, if you light a lamp in a house, then that lamp is supposed to provide light for everyone. That's what it's for. You don't put it under a basket. That's how he described it in their terms in those days. Uh, and you know, uh, the thing about like a flashlight or a bright light that's, that, that is, that is uh, coming from, from uh, a light that's coming out of something, there, it's never pleasant when that gets shined right in your eyeballs, right? It's not. <laughs> okay. Uh, but it is appreciated when it illuminates the thing that, it's, that it is helpful, right? So, like, the other day I was driving by my friend John's house. He has a new house right up the street here. Actually, it was last night. And uh, there's, they have some lighting on the outside of the house. And I looked over there, and across the snow I could see this doorway, uh, and it had a light over it. And it was really done well, and there was this red door under the light. And I was like, man, I want to go over there. I want to go in that place, right? You know what I'm talking about? You see those real warmly lit entrance. When the, when the light is on the thing that is, that is most important, then that's when it has some much more meaning to us than when it's like shined in our face. When it's pointing in the right direction. When it's illuminating something, or in this case, someone that needs to be illuminated. I... Uh, I have a, a friend that I used to uh, ride quite a bit with on the road, and uh, we would do the. I, I may have told you about this guy. His name's Lynn. He's a dear friend of mine, and we would we would do these long rides. And he's a real deep thinker, Lynn is, and I'm kind of a shallow guy, and so he he would uh, always have these real hard questions for me. Theo, it was like this theological bike ride, and so we'd head out, and I try to to uh, ride as hard as I could for as long as possible. And, and so I would have a, a little less time to try to come up with answers I didn't really have, because he always asked me the impossible questions, right? But one of the things he said at one of the, when we were way out in the middle of nowhere, he said, you know, Scott, I really don't have a problem with Jesus. I, what I see and hear about Jesus, I love. It's the church that I have a problem with. I think the church has become this thing, in some cases, at least for good reason or bad, that has maybe taken the fire inside the walls and kept it inside there so we can all get warm around that and stand around it. I like to say, you know, when the church stands around the fire, what do other people see? And the, the light, if, it, if it's a flashlight, sort of gets shined on the church, like we're the important thing. Like we've got it. Or we shine it right in the eyes of everybody. It's like, this is, you know, too, we're going to give you too much. And we know the answers. We're gonna sh- you know, there's this thing that the church has done with the heat and light of this good news that has been probably rightly understood for what it's communicating rather than that light shining on Jesus that warmth pointing towards him and attracting people towards him so they can make decision about that. 
People that look at the church should understand that we're a bunch of broken people in here. That we don't have it together, but the message that's going out is not that. There's a disconnect. But the light and the warmth needs to be aimed at Jesus so that people can actually see him and understand that we are broken and it's okay to come inside these doors. So two questions that I want to deal with today and ask you to ask yourself. One is, what does this idea of heat and light mean to the church? What is, how does it get worked out? What does that look like? Those of you who are most mature, who are following Christ, maybe have for a long time, you're really concerned about what the message of the church is in our community. So be thinking about that. And then for all of us, wherever you are, what, is, what, is it, what does this heat and light mean to you? How has that worked out in you? What does it look like in you if you are a believer, if you're following Christ? And if, if you're someone who is kind of exploring, trying to figure out who this Jesus is and what this church is really about, and maybe you've been confused and the light's been shined in your eyes and you've been judged and whatever, I think the passage we're going to look at is an incredibly good place to see Jesus. It's just one of the best, just short series of verses that just tells us something about who he is. So take a look at him through this. I want to give you just briefly, just step aside just for a second and fill you in quickly on what this church does programmatically to, to, to be heat and light in this community and in the global community. Just so you know, we invest uh, volunteers, money, and in, in share our facility. So we basically share our resources, people, money, in this building and things with all kinds of organizations. Uh, in particular, a lot of secular organizations. Non, they don't, they're not Christian at all. There's nothing spiritual about them. Uh, for instance, I'm just going to give you a list. Gunnison Valley Mentors, Adaptive Sports, Paradise Place Christian Preschool, the Crested Butte Community School Mighty Titans. Woo! You can see the big banner they let us have in, the, in there from that. Uh, Crested Butte Mountain Bike Association, Living Journeys, Alpen Glow Concert Series, Christmas Adopt-A-Family Program that the whole community participates in. The Crested Butte Food Bank, which is hosted in this building. Mountain Roots Food Project. By the way, we just gave them our van. Uh, so that's kind of fun. They'll be using that. I actually sold it to them for five bucks. Um, but they'll be using that this season. Uh, and they do cooking classes here. Uh, AA, AA Men's Group that meets here in the CB Film Festival. There's just some of the things that we participate in. And you might say, some of you might say, well, why secular organizations? What do you, why would we do that? The reason is that if we're going to be a good neighbor and engage with the warmth of good things that come from the church, then we're going to engage in what the community cares about, not in just what we care about, okay? And so we've looked at these and said, these are, these are organizations that are aligned, doing good things, helping people. And so we want to be a part of that. So that's what that's about. We also engage with the Lighthouse Pregnancy Center. We have a community care team that meets the needs of people who are struggling in our community. And quite a few neat things have been done through them this year, and that's ongoing. And if you ever have a need or know someone with a need, contact me or uh, one of the folks who are leading that group, and they will help uh, connect you to uh, resources. Uh, we do free counseling services if we have need for that. We support the kids' camp that happens in the summer. And uh, one of the biggest areas of our support is uh, a group called Young Life, which many of you know about. Young Life is a youth uh, organ- organization that cares for youth. It's not our youth group. 
we support it because it is there particularly gifted at shining the light on Jesus in a setting that kids who would probably never come to church can understand. And then we have a youth group that we support as well. Okay, so there's two different pieces of that. Young life is outside the church, young, and youth ministry is inside the church. And then uh, we, do, we have world missions, which you heard just a little taste of that today, and we support people all over the world and engage our people. So these are some of the things that we're doing in a nutshell. We have, good night, this thing is killing me. I hope it doesn't bother you guys. It's bothering me. There we go. It's better. Okay. Um, but we give over 25% of our budget to all of that stuff, which is over $100,000. And then a bunch of you have given to that too, which pushes it up quite a bit from there. So there's a big investment in those things from this place. So just to give you kind of a quick picture, you know, what's going on so you understand from a programmatic point of view what we're doing at the church. But let's go to look at this passage. Let's talk about that uh, and ask the question, what does heat, heat and light look like, particularly in your life? And if you want to take it there to the life of the church. So we're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 5. And this is, this is a story of when Jesus calls Levi. Levi is the guy who will, his name will be changed to Matthew. Later on, he's one of Jesus' key followers and actually writes one of the Gospels. So we're going to be in Luke 5, 27. So flip over there, or scroll over there. So read this with me. After this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting in a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and he followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his house, And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and the sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, to relationship with me. So three things as we unfold this passage, just those few verses, uh, they pretty much all start with a P. There's a new pursuit, there's a party with a purpose, and there's pushback. New pursuit, party with a purpose, and pushback. That's how we're going to let this unfold. So the new pursuit, Levi, this guy, is going to be invited into a new life pursuit. This is where Jesus is going to engage this guy, pull him towards some new, completely new pursuit in life. Let's look at that just one more time in 27. After this, after some major healing, by the way, Jesus has been doing some amazing things. Jesus went out, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth, and he said, follow me. And I love to imagine what this situation looked like. Because it's, at, it's a public market area, like you would, you would picture in a Middle Eastern scene, there's the tax collector who's the hated guy who's kind of the traitor to the people and he's in a, in a prominent place because he's wealthy. And here comes Jesus and Jesus has been doing all these great things and people are following. So you can picture the scene on this roadway, this open space. And I think if I was the director of the film that I'm thinking of, then it would all go into slow motion as soon as Jesus makes eye contact with this guy. Because a lot is going on right there. And we don't know if Matthew knew, or Levi knew about Jesus. We, we, he probably had heard. He doesn't, he doesn't have all the information. He hasn't seen all of these things taking place because he's, he's one of those guys who's living out on the edge. But 
he is, he's making, it says Jesus saw him. And you know, they, they saw each other and they're looking at each other, eye to eye. I wonder, you know, I really think from a spiritual perspective, this is a great metaphor for what happens with us. It's, it's almost like occasionally I, I catch eye, catch, meet eyes with Jesus. And I'm, I'm in this situation where I'm like, oh yeah, that's what's happening right here. There is a spiritual thing going on and Jesus is right in front of me and I'm going to go like this which is typically what happens. But there is this, this spiritual thing that we're aware of where God is interacting with us and we have this moment and there is this same moment we're seeing you know, physically take place between Jesus and, and Levi in the tax booth, all right, in the tax little office there. But Jesus says with his eyes and with his voice, follow me. Do what I do. Uh, now, when I came to this church uh, three or four years ago, I came as a snowboarder. And I didn't realize at the time what a hurdle that was for many of you to get over and accept me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I had a, a real good um, wreck one day and fell on my tailbone. So I couldn't sit down and put my snowboard on so I decided, well, I'm going to try something different. So I'm going to try the Telemark world, all right? Which I didn't also realize at the time that that, that wasn't just like kind of low on the scale of ways to go down the mountain. It, it was just non-existent in anybody's mind. Like it's in, you just don't go there. You don't do that. But I did it anyway. And uh, so I, I've skied a couple times with a, a guy. He's a high school kid, Dane DeFrady. Some of you know him. He competes... Uh, uh, in the telly world, you know, in, in, the, in Colorado. And he's really, really good at it. So uh, Sunday, a week or two ago, I asked him if he'd, you know, take me out. So we, we went up to ride. And uh, so we're riding up the lift, and Dane's like, here's a couple things, old man, that you should know. I'm like, okay, I got you. All right, I'm with you. I, got, I understand that. I've, I've heard that. I'm going to do that. And then uh, we get off the lift, and he goes, but you know what? Just follow me. I'm like, Okay. So I've got some instruction, but he says, follow me. So I follow him as close as I possibly can. It was awesome. I was so much better. And I was right behind him. And then he would stop and he would watch me go by. And then he'd come alongside me and say, why don't you do this? And then he'd get back in front of me. And then he'd do a 360. And I would slide over. And then I would meet him again. And st- it was amazing. But what was cool is that it just reminded me of this thing where Jesus says, follow me. He means really follow me. Do what I do. You can't do everything I'm going to do, but follow me and stay really close. And man, it was so much fun to stay close and to follow and do exactly, and try to do exactly whatever he did. And Jesus is saying, you know, sometimes I think people on the outside may look at Christians and go, follow, be a Christian, follow Jesus. Man, that sounds like death. Doesn't sound very fun. But it is really cool. It's an exciting way to live. Part of the reason that people see that and think that is because they see a bunch of Christians on Sunday and that's the only time they're living out their faith in the pew. Not following, just sitting or on the couch. Do what I do. And so Levi, this is kind of a challenge. This is, this is the big challenge here. Levi, it says he got up and he left everything. 
Now, it's interesting in the story because he says, it says he left everything, but the next day he has a party in his house. So there's some sense in which Matthew or Levi is leaving behind something very important to him. So I, the question for you who are believers is, what is it that we're holding so tightly that we wouldn't let go of when Jesus calls us to follow him? That's keeping us chained down to keep us from, and, and preventing us from following. So in Levi, actually his name is pretty interesting. When he gets changed, when Jesus changes it to Matthew, the word, uh, the name Matthew is the same root. Math, it's the math, basically the math part of that is the same root as follow. So when Jesus said follow, he said, basically, I want you to Matthew me, sort of. And then later they called Matthew follower. It's kind of cool. That became his name. Uh, in, uh, so there is this new pursuit that Jesus has called this guy into. And he takes him up on it. And then this party with a purpose. Now, I, I love what happens next in, in Levi's life. Uh, it's, it, it encourages me. It builds me up uh, spiritually. Uh, and I stole this party with a purpose from Young Life. Young Life's events are basically a party with a purpose. We're going to have a lot of fun, and we're going to shine the light on Jesus. That's a party with a purpose. So look at the verse, uh, 29. And Levi made a great feast for Jesus in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors, in other words, Matthew's friend, or, or Levi's friends, and others reclining at the table with them. So let's just unfold this real quickly and kind of see how this, this works. And it's super applicable, I think, to our lives. I, I love how this, this works out. He, he throws a big dinner party for his friends. So, you know, if you're ever wondering, what is something I can do to follow Jesus well? Well, Levi gives us a great example, and I like to think of it this way, barbecue first. That's always easy for Crestibutions. We love to barbecue, and you basically in Crested Butte, if you're new here, anytime you have people over, it's a barbecue. In Texas, you have a barbecue, and it means barbecue. Like, that's what you're having. Here, it just means everybody's coming over, and we're going to cook out, and we're going to eat. Barbecue. So it really plays into this well. Have a fun dinner with people and barbecue first. This is exactly what Levi does. But it's important then to look at the invitation list. So Levi invites his friends just as they are. There's no, like, you see, it just... He, he brings everybody in. He just warmly says, come on to the house. I'm going to share my stuff with you. I'm going to share my food with you. Let's enjoy this together. No cleanup required. You don't have to get fixed before you come and spend time with me. Also on the invitation list is this guy named Jesus. Now, that would be cool if you could invite Jesus to your house for the barbecue right? And I was, I was wrestling with this. I was thinking, you know, it would be cool if, because I'm not very good at communicating interpersonally about Jesus sometimes. And so I'm like, well, it would be awesome if I could just invite him. And then as I was thinking, I was like, you know what? This is aligned with what Jesus wants to do. If I have a barbecue and a party and have people over, I can invite Jesus to be there because I can talk to him, okay? I can spend time and say, Lord, please be here in the midst of this. I can also invite another friend who's a lot better at talking about Jesus or maybe a better example of him or a better follower of him than me and bring them into the mix as well. So they're interacting with my friends. I think if we invite Jesus into this, he's going to show up, right? So really, when I say I wish we could invite Jesus into it, it's kind of dumb to say because we can't. I have a friend 
who actually started a church by having a party. And he had a Christmas party. And all, he was really nervous about it. He invited all of his, his neighbors, and he had some wild and crazy neighbors. They came, and he just said, you know, my re- recollection of Christmas was like this, but then I met Jesus. He kind of did this really bold thing there, which I would be really nervous about doing. And out of that, half of those people became believers. The church started, and now that church is 2,500 members. And he wrote a book called uh, When Jesus is the Life of the Party. Um, so, you know, you never know what's going to happen when you invite Jesus to the party. And, and there's something, before we move off of this idea of a party with a purpose, did you notice, I, I, always, I can never go through a passage like this and not point this out, about him. It says that all these people who were looked at so negatively by the culture of the time, they were reclining at the table at dinner with him, okay? To us, that would mean that they sat down to dinner. But they didn't have chairs. They sat down you know, on the floor, like on a pillow or a blanket. So they reclined, they leaned back, and they leaned towards one another. And if, if you sat around the table with people, it meant that you accepted them, that you were on par with them, that you were not better than them, whoever was around your table. And so this is a very public event, and Jesus is reclining. Like, do you, it, it's just, I love that because it's just like, comfortable, relaxed in the company of whoever was there. And these were the broken and messed up people. And they knew they were. And Jesus is totally relaxed with them. He doesn't have expectations for them to clean up and be right. He's just having dinner with them. Barbecue first, or a party with a purpose. All right, and then pushback. So I can promise you, if you decide that you want to be heat and light and aim that, the light, the warmth that comes from you as a believer on Jesus, what's going to happen is there's going to be pushback. You will even create the pushback yourself. You will find ways to have great and fab- fabulous excuses for how this probably shouldn't happen. That guy I told you about who had the party and then all these people came to Christ and then the church started, well, he was, he was terrified of having the party uh, as gregarious as he was, and his wife had to make him go through with it. You know, he had a partner in crime, and, and she pulled him through. She said, you're going to do this. So he did it. You will find a reason. Look at, uh, and for these guys, in verse, in verse 30, we see, and the Pharisees and their scribes, in, in other words, these are the important people, the influencers of the day, the community leaders, they grumbled at, at Jesus' disciples, and they said, why? They pull, pull them aside and they say, why are you, why, are, why is Jesus eating and drinking or reclining at the table with tax collectors and sinners? Well, you know, we have to give those guys, those cultural leaders, we have to give them the benefit of the doubt because these are the people who we would question. We, question. we would say, like, let's say you, you, somebody who you think is a, a Christian who lives that lives out his or her faith, and you see their, their car, you know, at so-and-so's house at, you know, 1 a.m. You're going to go, what's going on? Right? That's because we love to judge people. This just in. We like to judge. <laughs> this is what's happening. It's a very natural thing that's happening. They're just judging the people for, for the normal just status quo of their community. Why would you do this? This doesn't make sense. We've told you not to do this kind of thing. Well, 
I don't think that these followers, these just this small group of, of followers of Jesus, I don't think they had the answer. I think they were like, well, we just started following him like three weeks ago, and we're not really educated, and we don't know very much. We just know that he called us, and we followed him. That's all they know. We're just following him. We're following him closely, and here's what's happening, so we don't know how to answer this. And when we feel that kind of uh, unsettledness in, in following Jesus, then there's, there, it's confusing. It's hard. We don't know what... I don't know. Have you ever been in that situation where somebody asks you something about you know, the Bible or faith or whatever, and you're like, I don't know. I don't know. And they may be condemning, you know, they may be saying, it's really dumb for you to believe in that stuff. And we're like, you don't have anything to say back? Um, well, this is cool because this is where Jesus just steps in. You notice the disciples, they don't say anything. But I, you can almost picture Jesus kind of, from wherever he is, maybe he gets up from the table, he sees what's happening, he goes over, and they're like, okay, good. In 31, and Jesus answered them. I don't know if that means that everybody could hear the question, you know, if it was loud enough. instruction for us spiritually is that Jesus says it's the people who know that they're broken, that know that they need a doctor. You guys, you guys that are condemning my relationship with these people, you think you don't need someone. I say you don't. Okay? I came to be with the people who are messed up and these people are messed up. The church, which is the people who are following Jesus, We've got to get to the point where when the question comes up, are, are, these, are these people better than us? When we look at the church, church can't do this. No. We, the message that gets communicated is no, we know that we are not better. That in fact, we need a physician. I think, uh, I think Jesus is building a fire. If you've ever built a campfire, you know that the most green wood is going to be the least productive. The most healthy wood is not going to work. It's just going to burn right out. But what kind of wood works really well? Dried up, broken, split, with lots of pointy things coming out, you know, splinters coming off it, little tiny broken sticks, little kindling stuff. Jesus is building a fire like that. That's, what the, that's the fuel that's burning, that's shining light on him. That's what starts a good fire. So, the first step is to realize, I think, 
to be heated light, that we're broken and we need a physician. That's a great, that's a ground up first question. So where do we take it from there? The, the position that we have is the very, very best position we could possibly have, and that's Jesus. Let me pray for us. Lord, I just, I want to simply ask you that light that comes from Obi-Joker Church would illuminate Jesus. And that's just what was happening. More of the light that comes from the fire that's built by broken, built out of broken people. We need a physician that would try to shine on Jesus. That's what we, that's what we desire. I pray that we do so. In Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, you guys have a great afternoon. <laughs>